Rick Madison, Rick and Friends. And, uh, you know, this is one of those guests where we we might have played some hockey together and I might have heard him in the dressing room the odd time sharing his opinions about everything. I find him quite entertaining. I know you will, too. Uh, welcome to the big show, David Towell. Hey, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. So... Uh, is it though? Is it a big pleasure? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I would consider this a win because when someone invites you, gives you a text, say, hey, can you show up to this office at this time in the middle of the day? I sort of expected an intervention. <laughs> and granted that I just have to sit here and look at your face for the next hour, I'm going to consider that a win. Um, so as always, I, I so appreciate your time because I know you have lots of it. You did a career pivot here recently. Yes, I did. So you were a lawyer. Yeah, I still am. Are you? Sort okay. of. Yes. On paper. Well, I'm still a licensed lawyer. I still pay them lots of insurance and dues and fees. It's just interesting because for someone who practices law and uh, but speaks, you're very outspoken for a lawyer. Why is that? Oh, I don't know if that's entirely true. There's lots of lawyers that have a lot of opinions. True. And, and they, they just, yeah. Yeah, there's lots of lawyers that like to state their opinions and argue their points as well. Um, so I don't know if I necessarily fully agree with that. Um, there's a lot of very intelligent lawyers that have a lot of intelligent opinions. You may not get those today. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. But, uh, but, but they could exist. You never know. No. Okay, well, uh, let's, let's dive into uh, a conversation we had. Again, you've pivoted from... From law, and it, and it takes a lot of guts to do so. Like, I mean, you were practicing law, I think, a stable income, and uh, and now you're you're kind of a a ship in the wind. I don't know. Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, I go back to my grandfather. He's passed away a number of years ago. Lived to be about ninety five years old, and he was one of those guys who you know literally like the textbook sat on, sat on his in his rocking chair on his porch and would dispense wisdom and a lot of it pretty good he was a really good kind man and when i was maybe a teen he was talking about careers because he was a he was a police officer his entire career and went on to become assistant inspector of the vancouver police department collected the bc municipal pension for over 50 years I used to joke to him. I said, you know, they have a dartboard on the wall with like eight guys on it, right? And you're one of them. <laughs> but he, he once said to me, he said, you know, we have this whole working thing wrong, right? That we, we, we take our youth and we steam towards a career and then we lock ourselves in that career and we do that career until we're 60 or 65 or whatever that is. And he mm -hmm. said, you know, this is all fucked up. You know, we're looking at this the wrong way. He said, here I am at 85. I can't really do much. I should probably be doing some, working something, and I should have taken time off when I was younger. And the other thing that he talked about was that, you know, in his view, looking back, it would have been a much more exciting, interesting life if we sort of did our career in five to seven to ten year increments. Mm. And I've heard other people talk about this, right? And, you know, what what would we get out of life? What what more adventures and excitement and what would we learn if we every five or seven or ten years just switch careers completely? Easy to say. Tough to have the balls to do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because what happens is any of us in our jobs, especially if we're professionals, we get sort of golden handcuffed into them. You start spending to the money you make and then you can't imagine going back to retrain for something else or making a massive pivot because <clears throat> you've got expenses. And so it's... it's uh, And dependence. I, well, dependence. That's what I mean. Expenses. you got a dependence and you've got a way you want to live your life and you get used to doing things to your income. It's very few people you meet live considerably below their income. 
Yeah, and a lot could be said for that. I mean, we we have uh, lottery winners that fly through money because they they don't know how to be wealthy, and so they just fritter it away. And and again, that can be epic. <laughs> like think about that. That's a lot of fun. But in the the downside is they usually end up uh, on the streets or even worse. Like I don't yeah. know. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in my case, I'd always plan to, it's like one of these year people, I went there for two weeks, ended up staying for 25 years. And that is, I, I, I went into law originally, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. Okay. Yes. So if you had asked me when I was 20 years old, what, what do you want to be? I would have probably said, I'm an entrepreneur, right? I want to start. That's what my grandparents were too. Mm-hmm. My grandparents operated shoe stores, restaurants, dry cleaner, you fucking name it. They owned it at one point. And that's what they did their entire life. And it wasn't a lucrative life, but they had all kinds of different businesses, all in the Vancouver area. That For some reason, they didn't end up buying 20 like, acres of land somewhere back in the 50s, and then I wouldn't have to worry about any of this shit, would I? <laughs> Where were you on all that? <laughs> but it's it's interesting, though. You, you do get the golden handcuffs where you end up doing something and, and maybe not enjoying it as much as you once did and don't have the energy for it, and then it just becomes just this this noose around your neck that you seem to wear until you're 50 or 60 or drop dead from a heart attack. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, as I got um, certainly more into my career, I started to look at, okay, obviously I'm making a good income. I'm in control of my own schedule. There's a lot of pluses to working in a professional setting, right? Like a lawyer, an accountant, a doctor, whatever you want to say. You know, the thing is, though, I don't care what area you're doing. It is kind of the same thing every day. And maybe that's what most people want, but for me, that's not doesn't fill my bucket, right? So I need kind of new adventures, new challenges, and so I started to look at different paths to get out. And this is, I mean, we're 2022. This is starting in like 2009, 2010. I was involved with the startup energy business, and then I was in a startup tech, and then I got into the cannabis business, right? Bought the facility, went public with that company. So it, so I'm practicing law, and I'm also doing my entrepreneurial thing at the same time and that's kind of that uh, what's the old saying about master of none like you basically mm-hmm. have your hat your hat you, you know your feet are half into each pool i'm not sure you really do either one particularly well that is one of the downfalls of having a you know a shorter attention span which you probably own and the f- fact is you're trying to do a lot of things but yeah, unless it has your your laser focused mindset, I, I think it's got to be really tough to to advance any of them because obviously you're not going to get that kind of uptake on anything because you're not building strategic plans. You're just you're just basically trying to hold on it sometimes. Totally. So I refer to that as the tennis ball or tennis situation, right? So you're just reacting. All you're doing is turning the fucking ball over the net mm-hmm. every day. And and so you're not doing any planning on how to do that. You're just reacting to it at the moment. Yeah, and, and I th- I think that's not sustainable. It, well, it isn't. Uh, yeah. It just isn't. I was burning long hours, uh, going seven days a week, uh, keeping everything, trying to keep everything afloat at the time. And then, you know, in, in my case, I got fortunate that the one play turned into something and we had a New York fund by, by majority of us out. They took control. They put a bunch of money in our pockets. I mean, in the world of business, and if I were to teach a business class, I would have a whole entire section on the luck of business. Because there seriously is, right? You can you can do everything well, and I've seen it. Do everything well and, and not succeed. Other people do everything pretty much shitty and happen to get lucky on their timing. 
Mm. And, and there's a mix in between that. I'm not saying you have to fall in one or the other, but it's you certainly, I've seen it over and over again, both as a lawyer and an entrepreneur. And lots of people have done amazing, amazing products. Uh, they've got everything, all their T's are crossed. They know what they're doing. You look back and you go, what the fuck happened? How did it go broke? But it could be a change in the economy. It could be, you know, that you're reliant on investment capital and that's dried up in that sector. Like it, it can be all kinds of different things. What's interesting is a study I read about growth, how it can destroy a lot of businesses Yeah, where people would think it's the opposite, which is the lack of growth, but it's, it's actually how growth destroys systems, uh, burns out people and, and fundamentally, uh, the, the company implodes because it just cannot keep up with the growth and it needs to go, grow and scale and it just cannot do that. And in, as a result, it's bankrupt. Yeah, well, the company that I've been consulting with for the last six to nine months, and I'm not going to name names or anything, but that's exactly what's happening there. So if you told, if you went into somebody and said, well, our revenue or our sales are growing 14 to 16% month on month, you would go, holy shit, mm -hmm. how's that possible? Well, that's exactly what's happened. But guess what? As you grow 14 to 16% a month, your costs also start to escalate. And this is in the tech sector. That 14 to 16% is a top line. It's not a profit, which is very normal in startup tech. But you need to have the fuel behind that engine to keep going at that pace, right? And what's happened is we have hit a dry spot in raising capital. So when you don't have the capital flowing in, guess what? You're still growing at 14 and 16% a month and need to keep fuel on that engine, and you're kind of fucked. Oh, yes. Yeah. So the cash rounds or the cash raise, uh, that's just fundamentally people are, well, I would imagine funds are going, well, we're going to wait and see what goes on before we start throwing any more money in. That's exactly what's happened. And that's happened. It's a, it's a combination of the markets, uncertainty. Mm -hmm. um, and if you, you know, had to take a, a re realistic lens at it, it's that you've been running this scaling up your business for quite a while now and you still aren't turning a profit. You know, and that's not unique to this business. If you look at the NASDAQ over the last nine months, there's a big difference between the composite index and the companies on the NASDAQ that don't make profit. There's a huge gap in how much those stocks have fallen compared to, let's call it, the big guys, right? Mm -hmm. So right now the market is seeking profits, earnings. Dividends. Distri <laughs> distributions, dividends. I mean, shit, a fund can take its money right now and go stick it in a GIC for 5%. Yeah, right? that, that is true, actually. Yeah. So so that's an interesting point where you have a company that's growing a lot. It, it really needs that horsepower behind it. It will not get it at this point. And now uh, shaky ground, I would say. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been a really tough go for the, the team there. I mean, we try to I'm a consultant there, but we run on a pretty, pretty tight team and we all work pretty hard to make things go. But it's uh you know, it used to be the capital would flow in pretty easily in the last six to nine months. It's just not. So then what do you do, right? You start looking for other sources of capital, but now you're into international capital and some of it, you know, you have some calls where you need a shower afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. You know, what it really needs is it needs an investor who's got really deep pockets, who understands the vision mm -hmm. and wants to be part of that. But, you know, a lot of companies, and I've seen this before, I saw this when I was in the energy spaces, the company I'm with right now, or working with, we're kind of caught in the middle. So we're too small to attract big money, mm -hmm. and we're too big for individual investors. Like, you're kind of too big for small, but too small for big. Yeah. 
and you're in that middle ground, right? Your kind of valuation, 40, 50, 60 million, it's that no man's land. So you must see this too, where we're in that the stock market is is uh, diminished a bit, like we're at, I think Dow Jones is around 32 or something as of today. And, and so you're looking at opportunities right now, because obviously you're a free agent looking at stuff. Yep. Um, is there any opportunities uh, that you see that are emerging that you think, because in every economy, I don't care who you are, you have to always look for the opportunities that exist. Because if everyone's going this way, you know, that that person who kind of swings and goes, nah, I, I, I see something over here and this will become something. Is, is that where your head's at these days? Yes, it is. Um, so I'm I'm an eternal optimist, but I'm also a pessimist at the same time. So if you if, if, you, um. if you bring me a business plan, I will rip the thing to shit, because it's kind of how my mind works. That's the bit the lawyer in me, right? So lawyers oh, yeah. are taught to critically analyze. Are they? Yes. I, ha- I had no idea. Look at all the pitfalls, everything that can go wrong. Exposure to risk. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's how you're trained. But it's not just a training professionally. It's how your brain gets taught to think. And so people will often say about lawyers, oh, so negative, so negative. Well, that's how my fucking mind works, right? Because I can't help that. But at the same time, because I'm an entrepreneur, I'm always pretty optimistic. So when you talk about opportunities, I think there's there's always opportunity. I don't care what time it is, right? So right now, I think there's lots of different sectors that have huge opportunity. Um, I was just looking today at a business that combines some carbon credits, or actually plastics credits, but through recycled plastic, providing it's a replacement to a... Um, it's a product that's already used in the oil and gas sector every single day, but this is a replacement made out of recycled plastic. So now you not only get the benefit of re- using recycled plastic, but I'm, it looks like you can probably get some credits their way as the end user. So, you know, hey, oil and gas exploration and production in Canada, well, the, may not, they may not be spending like crazy like they used to, on, but they're always buying shit. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's one of those things. I, I think that's, that's an area that really intrigues me. And the other one I'm looking at just on the phone yesterday with some guys out of Toronto and they're doing, it's sort of like adventure tourism. So I can't really get into details about it, but I think there's, you know, again, people want to have fun. People want to do shit. It doesn't matter if markets are up or down. That's macro. But people with money always have money. People always want to spend money. There's always opportunity. It's just... That's the one thing I learned over the last, say, five or seven years is you always have to, opportunity doesn't come to find you. You got to go find it. And that's not always easy. You know, what the fuck does that mean? Go find it. It's, you got to, you got to be always kind of out there with feelers, talking to people, letting them know you're available. You know, take some personal risk. Like say, hey, right now, like, I'm not really doing much, man. What do you got going on? Mm-hmm. And, and that leads, that opens a lot of doors. People are like, oh, you're not doing much, man. Like, okay, we got this thing, or my friend, let me do my friend from Regina, he's doing this. And then suddenly you're on a call with somebody you don't know, and it might lead. And you, you do have to knock on a lot of doors to find the right ones. Well, I think the, the thing that, that I'm getting from that is always have the feelers out. And a lot of people say, well, it's networking. It's not. But it's it's actually being able to pick up the phone too. Like I, a lot of people use all of their social media and their LinkedIn and they just continue to pummel people with this this stuff. And they don't fundamentally pick up the phone and, and make it personal, which is, hey, I know you know this guy. Can you connect us and, and that kind of thing? And and that's what I find. And I'm not trying to lambaste the, the millennials, but a lot of times my kids will not pick up the phone. I'm, I'm like, hey, is the store still open? They're like, well, online it says this. I said, did you phone him? No. 
No, wait, no, I don't want to phone him. (laughs) But sometimes just picking up the phone and and just and asking people straight up, like, listen, you know, what's going on? And can I can I help? And and can we have a meeting or all that kind of stuff, which I I fundamentally think you would have no trouble with is picking. No, well, that's how I do. That's how I do just about everything. Right. So when I was even when I practiced law for ever, um, I always had a personal approach to my practice. I wasn't, I never had a practice where I funneled you through two different associates and four different assistants. Like if you were my client, I talked to you, right? So some of the work might get done in behind the scenes by others, but I was your contact. I talked to you. I called you on the phone. I had you in for meetings. Um, it was cause I think the personal relationships, um, are undervalued these days in business and they're important. They really are. So you know, I'm, if you go to look me up on social media, I'm non-existent pretty much. I'm not on LinkedIn. I have Instagram to watch some golf videos. Uh, I'm not on Facebook. I think the whole thing is interpersonal. It's, it's got no personal to it. It's sort of, I get why it exists, but it doesn't fit the way that I do things. Really? You're not on even LinkedIn? I'm on nothing. Wow. Okay. No. No, I Should we be concerned about that? Well, I, <laughs> well, that was ever since I got out of prison. I had to, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. It's just to me, I don't want to be poked by a bunch of people trying to sell me shit. Or, mm-hmm. you know, again, I think that real relationships are personal. You know, do I, I don't mean this in a, in a horrible way. It's going to sound bad. But I don't really give a shit what someone I went to high school did last week who I haven't spoken to in 40 years. Or what they had for dinner. Exactly. It's not real to me, right? Real is my kids, my friends, my family. Like, that's real. And I'm going to spend my resources there. No. Not looking at what fucking people ate for dinner that I barely know. So, uh, I I can't remember Samuel Jackson or somebody like that says, he has seven friends. That's all he can afford to keep. Like, he says... Based on my schedule and based on everything else, he goes, I have seven. And he goes, that's my number. doesn't have to be your number. And he says, I'm not talking about people that might know me or these are people that I can pick up and, and go see and it's all good. He says, I'm not, I'm just not into having 45 friends because I think I have time for seven. That's a pretty good <laughs> observation. I think he's probably pretty accurate, right? Mm-hmm. Like it depends. What are we calling a friend? An acquaintance is not really a friend. No. Right, no. a friend is somebody that you know, you know, you don't have to know every intimate detail of their life, but you know, I always say it this way, a friend is somebody that if you ever needed them, they'd be there, and if they ever needed you, you'd be there, mm-hmm. unconditionally. And that really, to me, is like the basis of what a real friend is. It is, yeah. yeah. We're, like, if you called me and asked for money, I would probably have some forms drawn up. You would probably just hang up. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't blame you. <laughs> so, so I, I want to talk. Uh, uh, so horizons aside, um, you're living in in Kelowna. You're, you're not working. <laughs> um, let's talk a bit about the the uh, an interesting thing you brought up the other day, which was the expensive side of Canada, and and you had you read it in National Post, and I thought it was a very interesting. Uh, thought process about Canada and inflation, just inflation, whatever you want to call it. But uh, what was your thoughts on on our most expensive items in Canada? Well, the Post ran a story and they, they were talking about, the, and we all know this as Canadians, we pay a lot for a lot of shit mm-hmm. compared to say, we all use the Americans as our reference because that's the place we go the most, we see it, right? So, you know, start with like a six pack of beer. 
fucking California, it's three bucks, right? Mm -hmm. But anyway, so the Post ran an article on things that are the most, Canadians pay the most for than anywhere else in the world. Now, now beer, let's caveat there, close to, close to canoes, close to water, you Mm -hmm. know, American beer, but okay, we'll, we'll go from there. Okay. So Canadians in the article that talked about, and I have to remember what the five things were, but I know, so mobility, cell phones. Which is no surprising. You know, I don't big, know what you pay. Big a country, big country. I don't give a shit. It doesn't have nothing to do with ge- with the distance and the geography. It's off of satellites. It's called limited competition, protected by government forever. And and there's I noticed on my bill, and I saw it the other day. It was like um, a service delivery fee, and it was like forty five dollars. And I I said to my customer service, I go, what is that? And they go, oh. That's for um, uh, lack of competition. <laughs> I said, well, you said it out loud. That's awesome. And they that said, because <laughs> they said, no, we can charge made up stuff because no one's going to say any different. And I was like, I appreciate the transparency. Yeah. Well, I was thinking uh, when you brought that up about the cell phone companies. So if you can ever understand a cell phone bill. You let me fucking know because I think, you know, they make kids take like careers in high school now. They should have an entire course on understanding a cell phone bill because you're going to have one for the rest of your life and nobody can understand it. Mine's about 28 pages long. It's got more charges. Now, granted, I've got five different phones on this thing. I mean, Bell is, you could get a mortgage for cheaper than I pay Bell every month. And of course, they'll never let up on the charges. No, because no. you're you're like the, the whale that walks into the casino. Oh, yeah. So anyway, so getting back to the article, cell phones, which are not surprising, are the highest in the world in Canada. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they talked about airline tickets. Mm. So they, Again, they, big country, okay, David. Okay, big country, but all they were doing was looking at, there was a study done, and they looked at the cost per every 100 kilometers. Mm. So it doesn't matter how far, right? It's cost per 100K. Canada was among the highest in the entire world. And that shouldn't surprise you, though, because a flight from here to Calgary, you're going to pay one way, 350 400 bucks. Yeah. A flight from Seattle to San Francisco is going to be $59. Or not just, forget about the Americans. From London to Barcelona, what do you, 120 bucks. Now, Flair Airlines, have you tried Flair? I've used Flair many times out of my pure disdain for Canadian Airlines. Yes. And how was the service? <clears throat> I have found it actually quite pleasant. I'll really? tell you a funny story about Flair. Okay, so Flair charges, the way the way it works is that the ticket's cheap, but God forbid you have a bag, right? Because if you have a bag... Oh, oh you. So, so I had a Flair story. So I'm in Edmonton. I've got my suitcase, and I'm at an event for my daughter, and she's coming home on the team bus, but I've got to the airport. I want to watch this game until the last possible second. So just as a little preference, you have to know that every time I fly, I roll in hot. So... I get an Uber from the park that's way away from the airport. I come screaming into the airport. I've got like 32 minutes to get to the gate, and I'm at the front of the Edmonton airport, and I've got a suitcase. So I know the suitcase on Flair is going to cost me about 100 bucks. So I go running up. Now, of course, the good news is everyone's already checked in. There's nobody at the lineup. So yeah. I go running in, you know, sweat, and I'm like, holy shit, I got to And she looks at me. She goes, you got to get this flight. Just go. Grabs the bag. Off I go. Free. Come on. Yeah. So what's the lesson there? Well, 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 the other lesson is why would you not book another uh, seat and just park your luggage on it? Because it sounds like the luggage is more than a seat is. It can be. Yeah. I, I have used Flair quite a bit. I go <clears throat> Edmonton and Calgary quite often in Vancouver. You can fly in Flair cheaper than you can drive to Vancouver. Mm, yeah. $59 okay. $59 tickets if you don't have any luggage. I mean, what, 110 bucks round trip. 
You can't. I can't drive my truck for, back and forth for that. No, you can't. No, no, not a chance. Not the way you drive no. either. No. So anyway, so get back. So airlines. Okay. Uh, were another one, which is not surprising. And guess what? Here's what I would you know if you want to hear my opinion on this. Guess what? The <laughs> cell phone companies and the airlines. What, what's what's something they have in common? The two industries. Monopolies, perhaps. Yeah, protected by the federal government. Right? right. Yes. So the federal government, both are federally regulated. Both have more or less issued the kings to the, the keys to the kingdom to two or three players in each market, and everyone else can fuck off. Mm-hmm. So no competition. So I used to really love WestJet, and I'm sure I speak as a Westerner on this. You know, ten years ago, WestJet was a great airline to fly on. You could call someone. You could get. Now they're just another Air Canada. Yeah, with yeah. a different name. Yeah, Air Canada with a different name under the same federal protection from any kind of foreign or partially owned foreign airline coming in to compete with them. We're not happy until you're not happy. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's their motto. Yeah. They've stolen it from Air Canada. <laughs> that was trademarked too, the <laughs> bastards. I know, I know, and it's it, it is very true. Like I've I've heard all the horror stories of people booking flights. They cancel them uh, because the pilot didn't show up and the crew didn't show up. So they said, "Well, that's not our fault." No, I know. And no problem. Oh, I got a great Air Canada story. Okay, can do we have time for this? Because oh, this is a course. good one. Oh, of course. Yeah, okay. give her. So, um, even though uh, Christopher Freeland and Justin Trudeau wouldn't like this, during COVID, I actually traveled quite a bit. I went down to the States. I went to Mexico. I did my tests and all the other shit. You whatever. always had a tan. Like, I it know. was great. Yeah. So, anyways, I, I traveled quite a bit during the COVID era and got used to all the bullshit of traveling with the airlines and they cancel flights and you can't go here. You got to stay. So, part of traveling in COVID times, I would say any time, if you're not flexible, if, you're, if you can't kind of make decisions on the ground and be versatile. You're kind of fucked when you travel these days, right? So I'm always prepared for everything. So I'm coming back from, I think it was, I was coming up from Phoenix to Vancouver. It was a year ago, January. My flight in Phoenix actually goes off the ground on time, but before we even boarded, I get a notice from Air Canada that the next leg has been canceled. Canceled. So I'm like, oh shit, okay, whatever. So we'll get to Vancouver. I'm with my son. We'll get to Vancouver, and then I'll find a way, another flight back to Kelowna. I'm sure they have one later that night. Anyway, I could go on this story forever. But the long story, long story short, was that I get to Vancouver, and they've canceled all the flights to Van- to Kelowna that night. So now I got to get a hotel. The lineup, these poor people are in line. The lineup is hours long. They've got like one or two people. It's it's fucking misery, right? And this poor, poor woman in front of me, she's got three little kids. She's trying to get to the Yukon. She's in tears. There's not a flight to the Yukon for two days. Air Canada's not going to give her a hotel room because it was canceled for, quote, COVID reasons. Oh, oh yeah, they don't have to pay for the hotel. And I'm just l- looking at this shit show going, okay, so you know what? <clears throat> I'm out of here. Grab a cab to a hotel. Just get a hotel on my own. I'm like, I'll just submit the expenses later. Now, I finally get back to Kelowna a day later. And I now go back to Air Canada. I said, I've got my hotel receipt, my cab. And they say, uh, yeah, no, you can't uh, fuck off, basically. And I said, well, hold on. The flight was canceled before I even left Arizona. And they said, yeah, it was canceled due to weather. And I'm like, how do you know seven hours before the plane's supposed to leave that you canceled it for weather? That's a, that's a flat out lie. And so I, submit, I went through the whole claim process with them, but mm-hmm. I didn't go to the transportation board, which is the next step. So all they did was rely on the same argument over and over again. And at a certain point, it, you just, they fatigue you. Right? They, they, have, they just long play you. Yeah, they long play you. Like, you know, you can only submit so many forms and be told to pound sand. And then and then eventually they're like, you know what? Okay, the hotel cost me 250 bucks. I'm going to eat it because I can't do this anymore. And I, that's just me. How many times does that happen? 
Well, and, and I would say you even have more horsepower when it comes to bringing a fight to a corporation. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, but, I mean, you know, you have the background to go, I've, I've filled out the form and it's right. And you still tell me to go away. Like, I mean, I've caught you in a lie and yeah. you still, you still keep going back to the same lie saying, saying it enough times that you think it's going to be truth at some point. Well, the thing is they actually sent two different emails. They sent one initially saying they were canceling it because of COVID. So staffing issues, but then later they sent one saying they were canceling it because of weather. Oh, so let's figure that out. Like that starts I, to, <laughs> I get that they were going through a hard time, right? I get it. They had staffing problems and everything else, but when you're a monopoly protected airline, I don't have a lot of sympathy for you. You've been gouging the shit out of us for 50 years. And tax and state funded. Yeah, state funded. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> that's my quick one, but let's we'll finish that list. We got the it was cell phones, airlines, it was uh, believe it or not milk. 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 Well, again, protected, right? Uh dairy boards. Oh. Yeah, fixed pricing protected by government. So you've got milk, and then they had gas, which is not surprising. Not the highest in the world, highest in the Western Hemisphere. Okay. So uh, the only higher would be, well, I had somebody on from the UK, and they were mm -hmm. talking about how, but but right up there, though. Like if you take oh, yeah. the currency exchange. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Europe's expensive for gas, uh, but... They said that Canada was the most expensive in the Western Hemisphere. And I sort of jokingly say to people all the time, can you imagine in a lot of the U.S. South, if you try to charge them $10 a gallon for gas, they burn the fucking town down. <laughs> and you, uh, you have a Tesla. I do. Yeah. And do you love it? I love it, yeah. Not only doing some environmental good, but I don't have to spend $2.40 a liter on gas. And it's always charged up when I leave home. So the the question does remain, and and uh, I love it because you know I I love poking you. Is there? Do you worry about the battery life? No, they're warranted for like ten years. Okay. Um, what was the other one? Well, if everyone had a Tesla, it would bring down the power grid. Yes, that's true. Okay. Although BC, we could probably. I mean, we have resources in BC to generate more electricity. But yes, we don't have the grid for it right now if everybody was plugged in every night. Okay. But that's, you know how far we are so far away from that. <laughs> Politicians say otherwise. They talk about 2030 and 2050. I mean, you drive here today, you see a 1975 truck on the road, right? People aren't giving up their cars. <laughs> okay, we're going to get back to this list, but we have to take a quick break. Hold on just a sec. We have sponsors. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah, so, it's great. So people pay you to advertise to what I'm calling the listener? <laughs> oh, by the way, hi, Jen. <laughs> uh, Cloner Now is running its annual auction right now. Find it at clonernow.com. Uh, someone who should be bidding on stuff is Mr. Dave Towell because he has lots of money. Uh, cool stuff, good deals, and that's awesome. Uh, if you see news happening, email news at clonernow.com. And do you have print needs for your business? The D6 Print Studio on Lucky Road has large format print printers, like really large. Service your every need. Well, not every need, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back in a moment with more opinionated Dave Tal. Okay, let's let's dive back in with uh, this list here. So we have the, what was it, milk, data, what else? Uh, oh, airline. 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 Which I... I really love those stories. Oh, yeah. No, no problem. <laughs> uh, and, and what was the other one? So it wouldn't be eggs, though. Nope. No? No, nope. it was uh, 
It was mobile, airlines, milk, gas. Oh, shit. No, oh, well, how, yeah. This one is. Now, but you wouldn't live anywhere else in the world, would you? I would not, no. And and why is that? Because, I mean, fundamentally, we... we we do uh, are critical of our, our government and Canada and everything else, as we should be, because we're free speech and all that stuff. But it, it seems like, you know, pretty good place to live, I would I say. I completely agree with you. So I think that <clears throat> there's that optimist and, and pessimist. Well, one of the benefits of having the ability to travel is that for any of us to get to go other places in the world, you're always struck by how lucky we are to be born in Canada, right? It is, it is, I believe, the, the best nation in the world, but part of the reason we need to be critical and hold government of the fire is to keep it that way. <laughs> it's true, right? Complacent populations yes. will, will eventually allow governments to ruin what we have. And you know, I think we're already starting down that path, to be honest. Yeah, and, and complacency, let's talk about that. Municipal election brought out roughly 32% of the, the voting public. What do, you, what do you think of that? I think that uh, this is democracy, I hate to say 32% is democracy in action, but in a, in a municipal election, it's actually pretty good. And what you saw was the people are pissed. Right, and what what was the biggest issue? We all know what it was. Homelessness. It, well, it's homeless. It's crime. It's crime, crime and homelessness. And, and, homeless, and, yeah. and that's why you saw it in Vancouver had the big turnout and a complete switch of its council. You know, you saw what happened in Kelowna. Um, you know, people are holding those local governments accountable for this drug addiction, homelessness, crime. It's it's top of list for people. Now I could spend hours on why those local governments aren't necessarily the cause of that. <laughs> But, but they are partially the cause, right? It's not, there's no one party that, the, the issues are so complicated. It's not one fucking place that it comes from. It comes from federal policy, provincial policy, local policy, how you police. It comes from everything. But at least it's a start. You know, it's nice to see that people are pissed and they come out and vote because that ultimately is the greatest weapon we have is to hold our politicians accountable, to be informed, educated, and hold them accountable. Would you agree with somebody who, you know, lambastes a counselor or something on social media? Do you think that is an effective channel for people? I think in today's world, it's an effective channel. Yeah. I mean, social media is not part of my life, really, but it's part of a lot of people's lives and most people's lives. It's a means of communication. I think it's okay to call out your elected officials. Look, if you run for office, you want leadership. You want to be a leader. Well, being a leader is taking criticism. And you're not insulated from it. I don't think those attacks should be personal. They shouldn't go into areas that aren't what the person does, right? So if you're a city councilor or mayor, I have no problem with somebody attacking you on social media about the job you're doing. You signed up for that job. You campaigned on it. You ran for it. So be, a, be accountable for it. <laughs> That's why you're never going to run. No, I, I, I see myself, if I ever had an opportunity to work more on the policy side for certain governments, I'd be interested in that. It's something that's always intrigued me, like public policy. Um, I think it's a fascinating area. Would I want to go around kissing babies and telling lies? I, it's not, I don't think that's my nature. Oh, you don't think? No, I don't. I don't. I mean, I would, <clears throat> it would be interesting. I, I've joked about this for a while, but what if a politician actually ran and said, I'm just going to, I'm not, I'm not going to make a complicated platform, but here's what I will promise you. I'm not going to fucking lie to you. And, but lying has a, lying is not just lying, right? Lying is lying by omission or pretending like you don't know. And so I won't lie to you. And if at the end of my term, 
you're not, you know, if I've lied or I haven't done what I said I was going to do, I'll just step aside. Mm -hmm. And and I do think that that would be refreshing because a lot of politicians are trying to make a lot of people happy and there's always going to be a large contingent that does not like what you just said and so you're just going to try and placate them a little bit by saying okay well it's not happening but we are excited about the start of something and you know there's it's politicking at its finest which is, is trying to make sure i hold on to the seat by letting a lot of people know that i'm doing something it might not be effective but i'm doing something to change your life for the better I found interesting in this election cycle is so many people's lives fundamentally do suck. So they go, you know what? I want this election to help me and help my personal situation. And I think if I elect the right counselor or mayor, I will get change in my life and make my life better. And I found that so delusional. It is delusional, but it's also it's promising that people believe that because that is how democracy should work. Right? is that we as a collective whole, and we're, we're never going to agree with each other on everything, but the majority of the population, if they want certain things, that's democracy, right? And it becomes important to them, and then they vote candidates, and the government changes. What I, where I'm disillusioned is I watch governments switch back and forth. I don't care if you're right wing, left wing, whatever, and nothing ever fucking changes, right? So one of the mm -hmm. things, and I'll, you know, and I'll say this on, on air, is that I'm a card-carrying conservative. Okay, because and I'm not I'm not a social conservative. I'm a fiscal conservative. I believe government needs to be smaller. I think taxes need to be lower. Right? We need to incentivize people to start businesses, employ people, all those kind of freedom, basic freedom. Some might even call it libertarian. Right? I want the government restricted in what it does and all these other things. Um, <clears throat> so where was I going with this? Before I have preference on the that that governments don't really change. Oh, okay. So so I, I give people this example all the time, and you know I'm going way back, but people say oh. Trudeau government and all this, they won't allow fucking pipelines to go anywhere. I was like, you know, Stephen Harper had a majority government for like 10 years. Didn't build any pipelines. So, right? Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, they had, or, or we had our time and did nothing. But wasn't that more Quebec pushing back saying we don't want anything or, or in, you know, and, and sometimes there's different land claims that are going on with indigenous people. Like, I... I, I don't know the answer to that, and I'm not saying I do, because I was not part of the Harper government, but that could be a way. It could be, but again, this to me, it comes down to uh, leadership, right? So if you have strong leadership, and this is something that's important to your nation, you get it done. I don't mm. want to hear excuses. You know, you, it's a federal work. You can get through Quebec. You know, railways do. Um, we transport oil. Those stuff that we're not buying from Saudi Arabia, by the way. Uh, <laughs> by rail so yeah um you know i just I, i'm one of the <clears throat> i just i get disillusioned with politicians on all sides who won't discuss a lot of the real issues or how to really make them better there's a lot of bullshit oh no there's there's tremendous amounts of bullshit uh, my other part that i'm kind of interested in is is something uh, uh ron matusi said on on the podcast where he said Counselors and people uh, campaigning don't realize that a lot of the budget is already set. Like, I mean, there's probably 90, 92% that's set. You, you, 
it's infrastructure, it's road maintenance, it's snow removal. Like he said, that stuff is just never going away. There's a wiggle room of less than 10% that you can fundamentally change. Like you can change the Parkinson Rec Center, uh, different bypasses and roads. And like those get more priority or less priority. But he said, if you think you're going to just turn the thing upside down and start from brand new, you are sorely mistaken. And I, I almost wonder if that's the same thing with, with provincial or federal governments where they, there's only a little bit of wiggle room unless you defund the CBC. <laughs> well, that's a start. That's a, but then what would the Liberal Party do for propaganda? <laughs> what I was shocked at, and this is the, the rabbit hole, is that there's media in town as well as uh, that, that they get money from the federal government. Like, yeah, under that uh, bill they passed years ago, right? Yeah. That $400 million towards local media and everything else, which, you know, I guess even as somebody who's more right-wing, I could argue there's some merit in supporting local media and small smaller operations. You need to have voices. But I can say that this particular outlet does not receive a penny, which is interesting. Well, it does not. We don't charge the listener? <laughs> True. Well, there's advertising, <laughs> but but they don't get they don't get a check from the government from from what I understand. So again, I don't know that propaganda machine that state funded media. Even just saying that gives me a little bit of the heebie-jeebies. Putin-like, isn't it? It is. I know. Well, it the Liberal Party said this for years. Is the CBC is the propaganda wing of the Liberal Party? It has and, been forever. And CTV and Global. Well, they're not quite as bad. But, I mean, you ever see Justin Trudeau get interviewed on the CBC? Man, can't there be more fucking softballs tossed his way? <laughs> you know, it's crazy. The guy is deficit spending us into the ground, and they never bring that up. <laughs> you know, they don't, actually. No. They're like, so tell us about how awesome you are. Yeah, or some interesting project they're going to start funding, right, with money we don't actually have because we just keep printing it and going more and more into debt. And it's all—it's kind of all the bells and whistles and the sexy stuff. And they don't really ever hammer them down, but they're never going to. That's our Canadian, that is our media. I mean, So the, the optimist side or <laughs> the pessimist is, is creeping up, but don't you fundamentally think that there would be a change of viewpoint in regards to the balancing the budget. There, uh, there would be. Uh, you mean with a change of government? With a change of government. Yeah, but the, the difficulty is going to be, getting back to your point about you can't just come in and sort of burn the place to the ground, is that now you've got a government that is spending out of control like drunken sailors. Okay, yeah. so somebody comes in tomorrow, you know, you change a government. You can't just turn that tap off completely. I actually feel sorry for the person that inherits this mess because they're going to walk into massive spending commitments with no revenue to support it. Because, you know, Chris and Justin, they don't care about revenue or all these mathematical formulas or... Monetary policy? What the hell does that mean? I mean we, just, we just spend and somehow we have numbers on the page to do it. You know, it's always kind of like that Elizabeth Warren thing when she was talking about the healthcare in the U.S. and she had that chart and whatever the hell it was, like $19 trillion for their thing. And somebody said something. She said, look, it's not real. <laughs> she but, said but, that? Yeah, but she's sort of right, right? Because... Nine, what is 19 trillion? What does that even mean? It's a, it's an, uh, yeah, it's a number that, you know, it, it doesn't even make any sense. No. And, and there, there's a lot of people, I think, in government, especially on the left, that, that kind of take that view, that it isn't really real. And, 
And it is troubling because, I mean, there's obviously going to be pushback uh, from from the world when you spend your way into that kind of oblivion where you start printing money and interest rates go up. And I'm not an economist, but I do know that you can't do that sustained for quite a while. Well, we've been lucky because everybody else has been doing it too. Yeah. Right? So it's just eventually... <clears throat> eventually it's not going to go that way and then it, it has to destroy your currency doesn't it i think at just some point everyone goes okay <laughs> yeah let's just let's just cut our losses here i mean we'd made a few mistakes there so we're just going to go to zero i think we can all agree we all want to go to zero the reset yeah. yeah and then germany owns the world yeah or, or saudi china arabia or china yeah saudi arabia china yeah yeah they're yeah. strong countries aren't they yeah they have lots of money so are you a national post guy no, not really. I will read articles from time to time. Um, I don't like digest it like it's got like it's gospel though. I don't. Uh, I'm not one of those. No, I'm not one of those conservatives. No, because National Post is is conservative yes. paper for yeah, sure. Absolutely, and especially some of their columnists can be quite conservative. Uh, I I don't. I'm a complicated political guy. I don't drink the Kool-Aid fully, right? I said actually, like a yes. said like a true lawyer. Yeah, yes. Well, I am. I, I, I don't I pigeonhole me. Views that are quite left-wing, and then I have others that are quite right-wing. So it's uh, I'm what, all over the. What would be a right-wing? What would be a right-wing thing? Um, I, and maybe this isn't. A, maybe maybe we categorize these things as left and right. I think it. <clears throat> I when I look at people, I have a lot of compassion for people that are underprivileged. Um, I don't take that view like, well, I worked hard, fuck them. I hate it when people say that. Not not the fuck them part, but the, the I worked hard, right? Yeah, yeah. If I hear one more rich white guy say, well, I worked hard for what I have. And I always say to him, really? Why don't you tell that to the immigrant woman who goes to job cleaning hotel bathrooms all day long and then washes dishes all night? Why don't you tell her how hard you worked in your business, right? Mm -hmm. like, fuck off. So... I, I don't buy into that, and and I, I have a lot of compassion for people who are underprivileged. And people are, you know, oftentimes you're born in the situation you're in. Can you get partially out of it, or do some people, you know, the great American dream? Yes, of course they do. But you're talking tiny percentages. When you're disadvantaged, you will likely always be that way. And we, we need to have a, a, a strong society takes care of its people that need help well isn't that a measure of society of, of how we look after our vulnerable yeah, yeah absolutely and so you know if that's not consistent with traditional conservative or right-wing philosophy then I, I break from them on that i don't believe it is though i mean you know there's there's an element in again nothing's black and white there's an element in all parties that have people that are compassionate to others and there's people that aren't mm -hmm. right um so yeah politically i don't i don't drink the kool-aid fully one party or another party um would you say you're a capitalist with a conscience yes capitalist with a conscience you can use that by the and way very socially liberal right mm -hmm. so and that's partly maybe our generation like i understand why my grandparents weren't socially liberal well they weren't but they grew up in a time where they were literally trying to fucking eat mm -hmm. they didn't have time to consider the the rights of others and the ramifications of what that meant and inclusion. Like, you know, my grand, my grandmother grew up with nine brothers and sisters and her dad killed himself. Ugh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, but that, that's, a, that's, I'm not saying that's a classic Canadian story, but like my grandfather on my mom's side, they were coal miners in, no, in Nova Scotia. They didn't sit around and contemplate these <laughs> inclusion and diversity. I, but, but they weren't necessarily bad people. 
Is, is that a measure of an excessive society? Like, you know, where we're, we fundamentally, we have a lot of problems, but it's the, probably the most abundant society we've ever had. Absolutely. So now we can actually drill down on, and be philosophical about thoughts and ideas and pronouns and various things. <laughs> like, like we have that time and energy and, you know, the lights are on. We don't have to go forage for food or hunt food. Like we, we have that uh, I would say lofty position of being able to ponder the greater thoughts in life. I agree with you because our homes are heated and we have gas in our cars and our grocery store is full of food. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a little bit expensive, according to your national post art. Well, it is very expensive, but that's because we live in a government that's causing massive inflation. <laughs> so would you vote, uh, would you ever vote, like, let's say Trudeau was, was ushered out, and this is more for my kids because they're still liberals. Um, if he was ever voted out, would you vote liberal ever? I would say maybe. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I wouldn't ever say no. And that would, it's, it's a two-part two thing, though, is that if you had social conservatives take over the conservative party, they, they scare the shit out of me, right? So I couldn't support that. You know, I'm talking anti-abortion and mm. you know, oh, yeah. you know uh, prayer oh, yeah. in schools and all that stuff. I, I that that stuff I don't want to go back to 1952, um, and so that's the social liberal in me. But if and also if the liberals had a you know sort of Paul Martin type candidates, you know from my standpoint I can live with them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's good to know because. You know, this is where the podcast podcast ends. But isn't that isn't that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Isn't that one of the things that makes us so different than our American friends? Is that I think for most of us, we're open to the idea of, like, we don't. When I look at say Justin Trudeau and the liberals, I don't hate them, right? I don't hate them. I will. I'd be the first person to say this because I've been to speeches of his. He is a patriot. His vision of Canada is just not mine. Hmm. But he's not a bad person. Whereas in the States, if you're a Democrat, right, the Republicans are bad people. If you're a Republican, the Democrats are bad people. They're evil. They're criminals. And you watch this shit show unfolding in their midterms last night. How divided they are. I actually feel sorry for them. And I think in Canada, we're not, we're not like that. Like I'm, I'm, I'm fairly outspoken against Horgan and the NDP government in BC, but I don't hate them. I just think they're doing a terrible job. Well, there was a stat about nine out of ten jobs was created by government uh, during the COVID. Yeah, well, the government's the one spending all the money right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not surprising. Government has, and this is the other thing with, with like wage inflation. Private sector people aren't getting eight, nine, ten. Per, I don't know anyone's getting ten percent a year. Do you? No. But no. now unions and the government are all signing up. But hey, we only have ourselves to blame. We voted in an NDP government and a quasi NDP federal government. What, fucking shocked that they're giving unions massive wage increases? <laughs> this is democracy. At its fundamental, yeah? yeah. And and you get the government you vote in and you deserve. Exactly. So, yeah. You get what you deserve in democracy. If you, not just you, I'm collective you, go to the polls uninformed, uneducated, or with different agendas, you're going to get what you get. Do you think the pendulum swung, though, back uh, just based on the fact that the midterms kind of resulted in a... Republican sweep 
one could say. Well, they didn't, though, actually. The, the, the Dems, I, I was, I'm, I'm, fa- I'm always fascinated by U.S. politics. Well, it's a roller coaster ride. It, it is, and it's, uh, I, I'm, I'll be the first to admit that I was up till about 1 o'clock in the morning watching coverage, and I like to watch my coverage on all the networks. So Not just Fox? I, I actually, I will watch Fox for the different perspective. So I think if you only watch CNN or MSNBC, you get one side of the thing. So what I always do, and my son and I do this together, he's 21 years old, and, and we'll watch all three. It's kind of like, what are the whack jobs saying now, right? So we go over to Fox News. And, and, but at least then you're getting a balanced. Oh, yeah. Not from one, but together there's some balance collectively between that whole noise. There might be a small pattern that exists, yes. But I said to my son last night at about 1 o'clock in the morning when it, the congressional races were quite close, and of course we see these Senate races, I said, can you imagine what this election would have been if that nutty Supreme Court hadn't overturned Roe v. Wade? Like, let's just say that wasn't on the table for the Dems. I think they would have got shit kicked. Mm. That was such an issue for so many people that that got people out to the polls. I saw, it might have been on CNN, but this woman is waiting in, you know, the classic Americans is an underprivileged area. She's got to wait in line like nine hours to fucking vote. <laughs> and, and good on them, right? They yep. stand there. I, I give them all the credit in the world. And they, and they went up and they said, you know, this line is like six hours long. And she said something to the effect of, the social issues in this election are so important that I'll stand here for days. Oh, so it's a galvanizer. Yeah. I think so. So I think, it, you know, Americans are unhappy about the economy and inflation. They blame their federal government for that. Again, can you, it's not really, it's not just government, right? It's everything. It's all over the world. But that's the spin. Everybody's accepting that's the, that's the narrative. But if it hadn't have been for that Supreme Court, going nuts and overturning and taking them back to 1820. Um, I wonder how galvanized the Dem movement would have been. I think they would have gotten absolutely shit kicked yesterday. Mm-hmm. So it's funny that the Trump creation is what has hurt them. Because he placed a lot of those Supreme Court justices in there. He okay. changed the power. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, and yesterday, if anything, you saw in the States is, I think... <clears throat> that it could be interpreted as a condemnation of Trump, right? Because all the candidates he was supporting, they're not doing well. Mm. These these nut job election deniers and I mean it's so fucking nuts. <laughs> Well, one time I asked my son, Jack, I go, hey, uh, why don't you ever, you know, follow Canadian politics like you're you're voracious when it comes to American politics. And he said, Dad, think of strapping yourself to a rocket and just blasting off into space versus going on a kiddie ride. Like he says, that's Canadian politics versus American. He says, it's so, it's better than all reality shows combined. It totally is. <laughs> I was like, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just a complete shit show from, from morning to night, right? You've got these people like the one running for governor in Arizona that she's a election denier and she ballot boxes or no evidence of any of this of course but there it's so it's so fucking crazy you don't even think it's real so who do you think is is going to be in that office uh come a federal election in the u.s my son keeps saying there's only two ways this goes trump's president or he's in prison now i, I don't and i said what about both <laughs> has anybody thought of that like he's out on bail and he runs for president. Yeah. So anyway, um, I don't know. I, this, uh, I, going into yesterday, I would have said that Trump would win again. Uh, but what about the Florida governor? I don't. But will he take on Trump in a primary? 
Oof. I mean, yeah. nobody will, right? Because Trump, that, that machinery will destroy you. They'll just, you saw what he did when he ran for the Republican nomination back in 2016. I mean, you know, Lion Ted and your, your father was involved in JFK's assassination. And I mean, it's all personal and it's nasty. And then suddenly they're all friends afterwards. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's just so grotesque. Um, and getting back to our Canada thing, it's like, <clears throat> not only, I think in Canada, do we not carry the same animosity towards people with different views, but it, fundamentally, we all have faith in our institutions. We do. Like, you know, I can be out there, but I don't think elections are rigged in Canada. I no. think John Horgan and the NDP fairly won an election. During right? a pandemic, yeah. Well, yeah, now why they called, you know, they, they broke their deal, they called in the middle of the pandemic, like, you know how many people got sick just so they get their fucking hands on more power. But aside from all that, I don't doubt that they won it, fair and square. No, it's true. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, for one minute, I don't think that there's a conspiracy, you know, to stuff ballot boxes and fraud. and it, it, That's an American thing, and I feel sorry for them. I do. Like, to have no faith in the legitimacy of your democracy? Well, that's then you're starting attacking the very foundations of democracy. Yeah, what do you have left? Uh, hmm. Netflix? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, to me, it's the most important thing we have. Well, it's the bedrock that we're all built on. Like, if, if you don't if you don't fundamentally believe in that, then yeah. You start throwing a lot of ideas out there that don't have any basis whatsoever. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if, if like, I, and I give the Dems credit in the midterms, they were saying this is an election partly about democracy, right? Preserving democracy. But it, you look at it at the end of the day, healthcare, all these other things. If we don't have our a functioning democracy, what's it? What's it worth? Right? Yeah. Well, when when the Democrats, you know, hit that, when they kept saying that this is about democracy, though, you know, when when I think through the marketing lens, is that really resonating with a with a, a voter going? Yeah, like it, it doesn't have the sticking points that it it should have for something that's supposed to be a rallying cry. Like it's too big. It, it's too abstract it's too big. and it's nebulous. Too abstract. And People you're going like this specific. They're like, uh, well, what do they mean by yeah, that? I like, know. Like, uh, yeah. like I kind of understood where they're going with it, but it was way too. Well, I think I know, but I don't. And I don't think it was one of those things where, well, here's what this means. And it, you know, this is about abortion, this is about women's rights, like, there's something that's even more galvanizing than democracy. Eh, I, know. Eh, I don't know. It yeah. is very abstract. Anyway. It's hard to get your head around, right? Because I don't so know big. if it really rallies the troops as much as people on the, say, the gun side, you know, are they taking my guns away? Yeah, my huge, big guns. Right, huge in the States. Yeah. And that's a rally so specific. They're going to come and take your fucking AR-15. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm going to vote then for sure. Yeah, defend yeah, your right. Defend your rights, because everybody should have a fucking machine gun and carry a handgun everywhere they go. That makes total sense in 2022 in a Western democracy. Yeah. Okay, listen, you uh, you were fun as always. Um, uh, thank you again, David Towell, for spending the time, and we'll have to put explicit uh, lyrics on this one, and uh, we knew it would be that way, right? How else could it go? <laughs> <laughs>